Good morning. Please turn to the book of Galatians if you have a Bible. How you guys doing? Doing all right? It's a good day. Most of the country's facing a winter storm and we're doing all right down here. The gospel cure. The gospel cure. Galatians chapter 2. Every generation has homemade remedies. Some people, probably many of you, believe that eating sugar will cure the hiccups. You guys ever heard of that before? Or what about when you were a child and you were stung by a bee and they brought you tobacco to put on the bee sting, right? In England, up to the 20th century, listen to this. This remedy was widely used. To heal a sore throat, they would wrap around dirty socks around their throat. This was a common practice up to the 20th century in Britain. Probably certainly kept people away from you when you were sick. Listen to this, a more serious remedy. 1922, Dr. Frederick Banting, Canadian guy, Discovered insulin. Took the pancreas out of a dog and gave him small doses of insulin and discovered the powerful effects of insulin. Changed the world. Saved hundreds of millions of lives. Won a Nobel Prize for that in 1923. This morning we're talking about the gospel cure for a disease that if you have a two-year-old, you know exactly what this disease is. It's called sin. Right? You don't have to train a two-year-old how to be a sinner. It's just inside of them. It's like Gatorade. It's just in them. We all have this problem. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. John Newton, famous author of Amazing Grace, famous ship, slave ship captain, he penned these words. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. So this morning as we look at Galatians chapter 2, let's think and ponder about God's remedy for sin. And God doesn't just have a remedy to just save us and just be done with us. But He wants us to have the abundant life here on earth every day. So as we are in Galatians chapter 2, let's read verses 11 all the way through 21. But when Cephas, that's talking about Peter, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now Paul is speaking, Paul is writing. Verse 12. For certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? 
We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by flesh in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Father, would you move in these moments? Lord, would you speak? God, would your word come alive? God, would you set people free this morning? God, would you open our eyes to see the power, powerful truths of the gospel? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians receive the Spirit not by works of the law, but by hearing with faith. Justification by faith is made possible by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? What do you believe? What is the gospel? Well, if you never heard the gospel, here it is. Tim Keller says that the gospel is not something that we do, but it's something that has been done for us. So here's the gospel. Ready? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's it. That's the gospel. If you never heard it in your whole life, that's it. That Jesus came to do what we could not do. Give us some context on this, this passage. Paul was sharing to these churches in Galatia. He was writing a letter. It's modern day Turkey. Anyone ever been to Turkey? No? Some of you have? Some of you are thinking, I'd like a piece of Turkey right now. But Paul was writing this good news that Jesus Christ saves. It's good news. But these churches... They started to desert the gospel. They started to believe a different gospel, which was no gospel at all. So we see a confrontation takes place. In verse 11, you see a clash. Holy confrontation preserves the gospel. Holy confrontation preserves the gospel. The church Antioch was made up of almost all Gentile Christians. This morning, if you're here and you are not Jewish, you would be considered a Gentile. And if we're Gentiles, we, by believing in Jesus, 
by putting our faith in Christ, we can have salvation. Repenting of our sins, put our faith in Jesus. And then we are grafted in into the family of God. Peter, Peter uh, was supposed to be this giant of the faith, right? We know about Peter. And Peter had come to this church in Galatia, and uh, he had began hanging out with them. He had been eating with them and going, taking them fishing. Peter said, guys, I used, to go fi- I used to be a fisherman for a living. Let me show you how it's done. And he hung out with them, spent time with them. He ate food with them. Peter said, I've never had shrimp before. I've never tasted uh, the, how amazing pork, bacon. I've never had a, a ba- bacon on my biscuit. And so these Gentiles introduced Peter to all kind of awesome stuff. And uh, Peter realized he had been missing out and that he was, so, he was probably more grateful for the new covenant. Well, Jewish people never ate with Gentiles. Jewish people had these distinct Levitical laws that said, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. Why? Because God didn't want them to have any fun? No. Because they were God's people. They were different. And God wanted them to stand out. So these Levitical laws, they didn't apply to the Gentiles. And technically, under the New Covenant, they didn't apply to Peter. Peter could taste the gumbo and see that it was good. But what took place in this passage is that Peter Peter began to get kind of flaky. Some things are worth fighting for. And that this clash that takes place, look at it. Paul says, he opposed Peter to his face. Now this is kind of dramatic here. You have two giants of the faith kind of going at it. Verse 12 says, Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay. So the James, the brother of Jesus, was the head honcho, the head dude in Jerusalem. And their church kind of was like headquarters for Christianity. And James had these disciples, and they were the hot shots of the day. They were the John MacArthur's. They were the Matt Chandler's, the Francis Chan. They were Charles Stanley. These guys were giants of the faith that everyone looked up to. They loved the Lord. They set an example. They were awesome. Well, they showed in. They showed up in all their pomp and circumstance, and they loved the Lord. It's not that they didn't love the Lord. And all of a sudden, Peter, he was intimidated. And his pride snuck up on him. And the Bible says that Peter pushed himself away from the table. So there they are. Brothers and sisters in Christ are having a good Baptist fellowship. They're hanging out. And these guys walk up. They walk into town. They walk in the door. And Peter pushes himself away from the table. Because he was Jewish. He wasn't supposed to eat with Gentiles. Peter had the right belief, but in this moment, he had the wrong behavior. Some things are worth fighting for. 1517, the Roman Catholic Church in England 
all over Europe were teaching that freedom from sin could be bought with money. God raised up a man named Martin Luther. And he nailed 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, prompting a scholarly discussion that would change history forever. Martin Luther risked his very life. Some things are worth fighting for. So here's Peter. He once had, he had this backbone of steel, and all of a sudden he became, his backbone became like a wet noodle. Peter caved under the spiritual peer pressure of the day. We see the cause of this. We see the cause for this clash. Verse 12. Pride brings out hypocrisy in us, and in turn it hurts people. Pride. That is what caused Peter to push away from the table. Works righteousness and the gospel cannot coexist. The gospel is, you can be set free from your sins for all eternity because of what Jesus has done. Works righteousness says that we can earn our way to God. And that's false. That's, that's a false gospel. That's not true. Because God is holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. We can try all day. We can uh, do all of the do's and don'ts. We can go to church every Sunday. We can be, have, a, have a good life. We can, you know not do bad things, and still bust hell wide open. Because the Bible says we've all fallen short. Every single one of us. The Bible says that the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Wow. Peter, everyone looked up to Peter. Peter was supposed to be the guy. Peter let down his fellow Christian brothers and sisters. He even led them astray. He even led astray Barnabas. Peter discouraged the encourager. Peter discouraged the encourager. Then there was consequence. There's a great consequence. When we fail to stand for truth, other people are hurt. When we fail to stand for what's right, other people will get hurt. Hypocrisy can lead astray the strongest believers among us. The strongest people, even hypocrisy and pride, can lead them astray. Hypocrisy. Having, having the right belief, but the wrong behavior. One reason I never wanted to be a pastor was I grew up in a church that was full of incredible people. They made the best casseroles. They made the, 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 the best pies on Christmas. And if it, if it weren't for that church that I grew up in, Cato Baptist Church, uh, you'll see a sign on Highway 49 that says C-A-T-O. That's the church. Go down that road for a couple of miles. I grew up in that church, Southeast Rankin County. And I'm grateful. And I'll be grateful for eternity for, for that little church investing in my life. But there would be business meetings I'd have to go to. And I'd see people, and I know they love the Lord, but then they would talk to each other in a way that was not Christ. Their, their attitude, and there's nothing wrong with going at it. Sometimes we need to go at it. Amen? But friction causes us to do good things. It's not bad. 
Any business owner will tell you that. Any, anyone that wants to go places, friction has to happen. That's how, you know, conversation and, and working things out. It's good. It's not bad. But when we talk to each other in a certain tone, that's not Christ. That's the flesh. And so I would see this and I thought, man, I never want to be a pastor. I have to deal with that. But, but hypocrisy is in every church. It's in every community. It's in every workplace. So there's, let's just think about this quickly. There's two extreme theological errors when it comes to salvation. This is strictly concerning salvation. There's legalism. And then there's antinomianism. Okay? Legalism. Let's say legalism is over here, this far uh, eternity over here, far away from here, right? And legalism says that we can go to heaven, we can have a relationship with God by doing a, a list of to-dos. Here's what legalism says that we, that we have to live a holy, good life in order to be saved. Okay? That's not true. Over here, you have relativism or antinomianism. And it says that you can be saved and live however you want to. It says that we, because we are saved, we do not have to live a good, holy, righteous life. It says love everybody. Everybody will go to heaven. Love has no labels. You guys seen that commercial last year? Love has a label. His name is Jesus Christ. And He loves everyone regardless of their background, their ethnicity, or whatever they want to say they are. Jesus loves everyone. So the, there's the Pharisee, the right, self-righteous Pharisee way over here, and then there's the lawless pagan way over here. Two extreme theological errors. Well, the gospel is right here in the middle. The gospel says that, yes, we pursue righteousness. We, we live a, seek to live a, a good, holy, clean life for the Lord. Not to be saved, but because Jesus saved us. Because He saved us, that's why we bust it for the Lord. Because He saved us, that's why we slam our fist on our table and says, say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we don't care what everybody else in our streets is doing. We're going with God. Why? Because we've been set free. Because we know Christ. Because He's all that matters. Because He means something to you. Here's a test if you're wondering. Now, we all will lean one way or the other thinking about this. Sometimes I lean both ways. But maybe you're not like that, so hooray for you. Here's a little test. You might be a Pharisee if you you might be a Pharisee if you do not like to have fun ever. You never, ever, ever want to have any fun. You might be a Pharisee if you think that the world would be a better place if everyone else was just like you. Or you may be a Pharisee if you think you're the only one that can do something right. Or you may be a Pharisee if you view people's spirituality in light of their style. Style. Now, I'm not talking about not wearing appropriate clothing. That's a different conversation. 
But if we gauge how much someone loves the Lord by their preference on style of clothing, we're wading into dangerous waters. Early 1700s, it was natural for uh, men to wear wigs and tights and high heels. And to me, I'm thinking certainly they didn't love the Lord, right? But that was the style of the day. That was the style. That, that was what classy men wore. The ladies, they have these dresses I'm not going to talk about. But neckties didn't become a common thing until after till right at World War One, People didn't wear ties church. Now, should we or should we not? Well, we should honor the Lord in our clothing. But we should never judge someone's spirituality based on their preference of style of clothing. Because if so, now you're still entitled to your own opinion. But when we do that, when we say, if you, if you don't love the Lord, you've got to dress this certain way. Well, where's that in the Bible? It's not. We're wading into dangerous waters. founder of the seminary that I went to, Dr. Gray Allison, used to be a professor at New Orleans Seminary. And Dr. Gray always said we should dress on the outside how we are on the inside. We should dress on the outside based on who we believe to be in Christ on the inside. He's the best dressed man I ever met. Those of you just laughing, ha ha, I'm not a Pharisee. Listen to this. You may be a lawless pagan if you think there's nothing wrong with watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Kind of joking. Okay, let's, how about this one? You may be a lawless pagan if you talk to the trees and they talk back to you. Or you may be a lawless pagan if you get more excited about a football game than you do when someone is born again, into the kingdom. Get more excited about a football game than we do when someone's baptized in our church. Now, I just offended half the men, but let me tell you, I love football just as much as anyone. I love the physicality of it. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. I was going to Dollar General last night to try to find an antenna to plug into my TV and find some channels but the antenna would not pick up any of the local air stations, and I was heartbroken. But hey, I hope that one day so many people are getting baptized at our church that we have to tailgate in the parking lot. Wouldn't that be awesome? Just bring your grill up to the church, bring your camper, bring your tent. We're going to baptize people today, and we're going to get a little excited about it. I mean, do we believe that when we're saved, we're set free from sin and born to the kingdom? So we were all born legalistic. We, we all are born trying to get to God, right? And, and by thinking that we can earn God's favor by hard work or just because we're good people, that's just not true. David Platt says that we are all recovering legalists. So Paul was calling out Peter. Peter knew that these Gentile Christians were, loved the Lord. He had spent time with them. How much did it break their hearts? Think about it. If you're a Galatian Christian, Gentile Christian, you're sitting there eating a shrimp po' boy with Peter, who they had to esteem. They had to think, man, this is so cool. We are getting to eat with Peter, the man that walked on water. 
We are getting to eat with Peter, the man that spent three years with Jesus. How neat was that to eat with Peter, the Apostle Peter? He was in their house, and all of a sudden these, these other church people show up, and Peter pushes away from the table. Man, don't you know that broke their heart? Probably they thought, you know, I'm second rate. I'm not, I don't have what it takes to be one of those guys. And Paul noticed it. And Paul knew that's not right. And Paul called him out. Paul, Paul was passionate about it. And you'll notice there's nowhere in this passage, in this, this great clash, there's nowhere where Peter opposed Paul. Why? Because Peter knew, you know what? I remember when I was sitting on that rooftop and I had a vision. Peter knew, you know, Paul, he's right. And so nowhere do you see Paul mentioned that Peter tried to say, you know, oppose what Paul was teaching. Okay. So, what's the cure? Well, glad you asked. Walking by faith. Verse 16. Verse 16. Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed, have believed in Christ Jesus in order, check this out, in order to be justified by being a Baptist? Nope. To be justified by just because you never use a curse word? No. Be justified because you never smoke dope? No. Be justified because you treat people kind most of the time? No, 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 none of those things. Be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, listen to this warning, no one will be justified. So at the judgment seat of Christ, you die and you're at the judgment seat of Christ, how are you going to be justified? It's a good question to everyone here, and we need to ask that. Young people, young people, older people, all in between. How will we be justified? What's going to pay for our sin? Because we went to church every Sunday? Or because all of our sin and the punishment for sin was laid on Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life so we wouldn't have to? We all have to ask ourselves this question. So the cure is walking by faith and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 The cure is surrendering and let the Lord live His life through us. Colossians 1.27 Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is our source. He lives inside of us. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He never runs out of what we need. So how do we walk by the Spirit? How do I work my job? How do I, how do, what does that look like whenever I apply that to my life Monday morning when I go to work and everyone around me does not love the Lord and 
and, and people persecute me because I stand up for what's right and, and my family's falling apart and, and uh, I just got physical problems and, and, and life's just, it's a horrible day. How do I walk by faith? Well, by resting crucified in Christ. Not physically, but in your mind and in your heart. In your mind and in your heart. Walking by faith. So if you're born again, if you know Christ, make no mistake about it, the Spirit of Almighty God lives inside of you. That sounds nice in church, but the, the reality is, it's the truth. The Spirit of God, this very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. Yes. Yes. And to this morning, if you don't have that Spirit living in you, inside of you, then that means you are not saved, you are not born again, and you do not know Christ. The Spirit inside of us helps us overcome sin by resting crucified. And we can't get more of the Spirit as some TV preachers talk about. But the Spirit can get more of us. The Spirit can get more of us. All through the book of Acts, it says the New Testament believers were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with with the Spirit. From their toenails to their eyeballs, they were filled with the Spirit. We can't get more of Him, but the truth is, all of Christ was deposited inside of us upon salvation. And sometimes it takes a lifetime to explore and for us to just grasp onto what that means. So when we're tempted, count it by faith to rest crucified. Faith is a special ingredient needed to activate our consciousness of the reality of Christ in us. So the key is resting crucified. Resting crucified is the key to the Christ-filled life. During the bachelor days, I've told some of you this before, I was a bachelor serving at a church, First Baptist Church, Batesville, Mississippi. Some of you don't know where that is. They don't know where you are either. But uh, anyways, so... Now, they probably do know where you are. So... uh, I was a bachelor, not married. I was pretty upset about that too, by the way. I wanted to be married. And uh, I just felt like there was spiritual attacks all the time in my house. And so I just put sticky notes all over the house with Scripture. I thought, I'm just going to keep the enemy away from me. And so I put all these quotes. And on my microwave, I'll never forget, I had that quote right there. The cure for self is death. The cure for self is death. Put that on my microwave. Why on your microwave? I don't know. I just did it. And I'd go to church and God would move and things would happen and the enemy would try to discourage me. There'd be a sweet lady come every single Sunday morning. Why aren't you married yet? It just broke my heart. I thought, well, I want to be married. And she'd tell me, you're too picky. Or she'd have all this advice. And it, it broke my heart. Broke my heart. I thought, man, what am I doing wrong? And I'd go home and the Lord would say, son, the cure for self is death. Rest crucified. Trust me. I have a plan. This morning, some of you need to claim that. You need to grab hold of the fact that God has a plan. And you don't have to have it all figured out. And that when we're tempted in every way, we can rest crucified in Christ. Justification by faith. Verses 17-21. through Verses 17-21. 
Paul reminds the church of Galatia why we're justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Justified. Justification. What does that mean? It means to be counted righteous. It means to be declared legally righteous by God because of, not because of what we can bring to the table, but because of what Christ did on earth. Because Jesus lived a perfect life. He was blameless. He was perfect. And He went to the cross and gave His life and He rose again. And in Christ, we are justified. Holy. Blameless. Well, I don't feel holy. It doesn't matter what you feel. If you're trusting in Christ, you're clean. You're set free. You're forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel. Claim it by faith. You're set free. I don't feel free. Well, you're listening to the wrong voices. Because Jesus is saying you're set free. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just and He will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's God's Word. That's not the Daily Show. That's God's Word. He'll clean you up. He'll set you free. But, but I did some real bad stuff, Pastor. I, I mean, dark, horrible. In fact, I could be locked up for, for a lifetime for all the bad stuff I've done. Friend, there's consequences for our, earth on sin, uh, for our sin on earth, but God can forgive you of the, anything you could ever do. Why? Because God's love is that powerful and because the blood of Jesus is that holy. The blood of Jesus... You think that God would send His Son to die on the cross to not get all of your sin paid for? That blood that trickled down the cross was holy. It was holy. And it, what it did, it purchased dump trucks. It purchased oceans full of grace. It purchased oceans full of deep and wide of just grace purchased at the cross. And that grace is for you today. That grace is here for you this morning. It's available. And it's free for you. You don't have to pay for it. You don't even have to clean up your life. You can just come take it. You can come receive it. Now it was maybe free for us, but it wasn't free. Jesus paid for it. The precious Son of God purchased those that grace. Paul says we've died to the law. It means we, we no longer live trying to gain merit with God or justification by obeying the law. But we obey the law, we do what's right, we stand for what's right, we pursue righteousness because Christ has set us free. If you just say, well, I'm just going to live like I want, I'm going to premeditate my sin, I'm going to decide beforehand, this is what I'm going to do, well, that's not repentance. That's not Christ, that's not Christianity. And then I'm going to go over here, I'm going to live like I want to, and I'm just going to come over here and I'm going to say some Hail Marys, and I'm just going to go to church and I'm going to be good. It doesn't work like that. That's not repentance. Repentance means you turn away from and walk away from your sin. That's repentance. So if you just say, well, I'm going to go to the church and that will cancel out my sin, it doesn't work like that, friend. It doesn't work. You will stand before Christ, accountable for your sins. I will as well. And this morning, you can call on God to save you by faith. You can come and ask Christ to, to set you free. 
So we don't have to earn merit with God because He already gave us all we need in Christ. God is pleased in us because of what Christ has done. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Can you say that this morning? Then closing, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Then Christ died for no purpose. Do you think that the Son of God would be crucified just because? No, not just because. He did die for a purpose. He died so that us today could have life. So faith is not just for receiving salvation, but it's also for living out our day-to-day lives. The conclusion, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. God's Word says that. Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Wow. Preacher, you mean that if I put my faith in Christ and give Him my life, that He'll forgive me of everything I've ever done? Yes. He'll set you free. This morning, many people are here and you've got chains shackled on your life and the locks are unlocked. Christ has already unlocked that lock and He set you free. But you're still listening to the old voices. Those chains are still all on your life, but all you got to do is throw them off this morning. Because they have no power over you. Christ has set you free. So the key, the key, the solution, the cure is resting in Jesus and letting Him do all the work. Charles Spurgeon, I'll close with this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that God laid on Jesus Christ our substitute. He took it and He bore the penalty of our sin. He was our scapegoat and He carried our sin away. And it is lost in the wilderness of forgetfulness. East to west, the Lord wants to set you free this morning. You believe that? God wants you to believe it. He can set you free. Young people, listen to me. The Lord is here. He's got a plan for your life. You can either go your way, the world's way, or God's way. God's plan for you is way better than anything you could fathom. He wants to prosper you, not to harm you. But you have to make a decision. Because He's a good Father, He lets you decide. He doesn't force Himself onto your life. He lets you decide. Would you come to Christ today? Would you come home? The Lord wants you to come home and be cleaned up and set free. I want everyone to Please bow your head.